0: This will be a little bit lengthy, so bear with me. Um, I'm going to present a female martyr today, the life of Anne Askew. Uh, From 1521 to 1546, she was martyred at 24 years old. Uh, Her story has many strands, known as the evangelical martyr, the renaissance writer, the woman who refused to submit to the rules of her day, and the innocent victim of vicious Tudor politics near glorious Grimsby lived a knight called William Askew, married to Elizabeth Rotsley. William and Elizabeth were the parents of two boys and three girls. In 1521, they christened their second daughter, Anne. There was great excitement when Anne's eldest sister, Martha, was betrothed to be married to one master, Kime. But in 1536, disaster struck and Martha died. To Anne's dismay, At 15 years old, they offered her as a substitute wife. Anne unwillingly did her duty, and she and Master Kime had two children together, but all was not well in their household. Anne had been relatively well-educated and could certainly read, and so she read, and she read the Bible. And what she read in the Word turned her mind to the teaching of evangelicals. She became a devout Protestant, studying the Bible, memorizing verses, and remained true to her belief for the entirety of her life. Her reading convinced her of the falsity of the doctor, doctrine of transubstantiation. Amen. She was not of the shy and retiring type and shared her views with her neighbors and her husband. Neither were happy with her talk because Lincolnshire was a conservative place of primarily Roman Catholics. When Anne proposed some of, to some of the leaders that were in Lincoln to see the Bible truth for themselves, they made their outrage known to the bishop. Anne later related that, for my friends told me if I did come to Lincoln, the priest would assault me and put me to great trouble, as thereof they had made their boast. But Anne was not intimidated one bit and would not be frightened. There in the cathedral, she quietly read the Bible, though the act in advancement of religion in 1543 laid down a law that women could only read the Bible in private. The cathedral staff frankly ducked the challenge and tried to ignore her, and only one priest had a go at her to enforce this law. But Anne later claimed to have been so unimpressed that she couldn't remember what he said. For Master Kime, her husband, Anne's rebellion was too much, and so he threw his wife out. She responded by demanding a divorce. A side note, um, of their two children, there's no other mention of them, so it's thought that they had died in infancy. She uses 1 Corinthians 7 uh, Scripture with the bishop saying, but if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. Right. Amen. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. Amen. But she had no he- hope of gaining a divorce from the bishop of Lincoln. And so she took herself to London to the court of chancery where she might have a better chance. She was a well connected noblewoman. Her brother Edward was cupbearer to the king. Her half brother Christopher had been a gentleman of the private chamber. Edward had served Archbishop Cramer, and critically, Anne's sister Jane was married to George St. Paul, a lawyer in the service of the Duke and Dutch, Duchess of Suffolk. Catherine Willoughby, a member of the Queen's household, but this connection to the Queen's household would later have consequences. Anne attracted attention in London and it was somewhere around the middle of March in 1545 when she first got into trouble. She quickly became known as a gospeler, since she told so many about her faith. She had an inquiring mind, she was strong in faith and sincerity, and was willing to stand up and preach despite the fact that as a woman of high social status this was bound to attract the attention of the authorities. She was hauled in the front of The Bishop of London, Edmund Bonner, and interrogated. Anne had managed to distance herself from the Roman Church. In June 1545, Anne was arranged again before a jury for denying the mass, but no witness came forward, so the jury released her. That might have been the end of the matter. However, someone noticed Anne's connections to the Queen's household. The religious conservatives of the King's Council were determined to bring down Queen Catherine, whose evangelical household legitimized support for reform at court. Again, the act of advancement of the true religion stated that no women, nor artificers, journeymen, serving men of the degree of yeomen, or under husbandmen, nor laborers could read the Bible privately or openly. But later a clause was added that did allow any noble or gentlewoman to read the Bible, but this activity must take place to themselves alone and not to others. Queen Catherine ignored this by holding a study among her ladies with the scriptures and listening to sermons of an evangelical nature. In hopes that maybe Anne could be used to incriminate the queen herself, in May 1546, Thomas Kime, her separated husband, was commanded to attend with her the king's council at Greenwich on June 19, 1546. Anne refused to admit that Kaim was her husband, and probably much to his relief, he was sent away for two days while she was interrogated by the counselors. So we have three counselors there, Thomas Risley, Stephen Gardner, the Bishop of Winchester, and William Paget, the King's Principal Secretary. Anne was able to answer and fend off most all of their questions, and occasionally flat re, flatly refused to answer any of their questions. She threw her knowledge of the scriptures at the council's collective head. Gardner tried to charm her because he was her friend. He said he only wanted to save her soul, and firmly and contemptuously pushed his gesture away, forcefully saying that these were the kind of weasel words that Judas used to capture Jesus. Whoa. The council got nowhere, neither in persuading her that she was in error or eliciting any names. Time and again, they pressed her about the connection to the Countess of Hetford, lady denny the duchess of suffolk all the women of queen catherine parr's household eventually the council gave up she wouldn't give them any names the recorder of the session concluded wearily that seeing no persuasion of good reason could take place she was sent to newgate to remain there to answer the law in newgate prison she started writing of her experience and composed her ballad it's a poem i'll read it here shortly But her ordeal had only just started. By the end of June, she was arranged again for heresy at the guild hall. She could have backed down and recanted to avoid execution, but would not. She flatly rejected the existence of any priestly miracle in the Eucharist, her statement. As for that ye call your God, it is a piece of bread. For a more proof thereof, let it but lie in the box three months, and it will be moldy. But Stephen Gardner, Thomas Risley, and Richard Rich were no less determined to break Anne to get the information they needed to bring down the Queen and secure England's future for traditional religion. They wanted names of like-minded women and especially for her to name Queen Catherine Parr. Anne was taken secretly to the Tower. Gardner ordered Kingston, the constable of the Tower of London, to have Anne racked extraordinarily two members of the private council took part in this by hand Risley and rich met her there and again pressed her for the connections at court in the presence of Anthony Kingston they threatened her with the rack this was quite illegal torture was not allowed for anyone under the legal process without express permission of the king noblemen were protected and it was unthankful to torture a woman still Anne would not yield Impatiently, Risley and Rich ordered Kingston to put Anne on the rack. She was stripped to her undergarments, and then she climbed onto the rack and was tied, hands and feet, and the wheel turned to tighten the ropes. Anthony Kingston was clearly horrified, but once again, Anne refused to talk. Risley and Rich demanded her to be racked again and much harder. This was too much for Kingston. He refused to be involved any further, and rushed off to try to get access to the king to stop this torture. Amen. While Kingston was going to get the king, the Lord Chancellor of England, Thomas Risley, and the Chancellor of the Court of Augmentations, Richard Rich, both members of the king's council put aside their robes and put their own hands to the wheel and set the work themselves. They turned the handle so hard that Anne was drawn apart, her shoulders and hips being pulled from their sockets, and her elbows and knees were dislocated. Anne's cries could be heard in the garden next to the white tower where lieutenant's wife and daughter were walking. In Anne's own words, they did put me to the rack because I confessed no ladies or gentlemen to be of my opinion. The Lord Chancellor and Master Rich took pains to rack me with their own hands till I was nearly dead. I fainted, but then they recovered me again. But still, Anne would not tell them what they wanted to know she would admit that some men had given her some money in prison to help her and that they had said they'd come from Lady Denny and Countess Hepford, but that was all. It wasn't enough for the Conservatives to build a case. Risley and Rich despaired but still could not accept defeat. Here is Anne again on a statement. After that I sat for two long hours arguing with Lord Chancellor upon the bare floor. With many flattering words he tried to persuade me to leave my opinion I said that I would rather die than break my faith, Amen. Anne was taken quietly and secretly to a private house to recover from her torture, but the violence visited on her body was too hideous. Her joints were dislocated, and she could not walk. Rich and Risley had to face the council, horrified at what had been done, and then Kingston, the constable of the tower, had Risley and Rich beaten for this crime and cruelty. But the council did nothing more to wisely enrich and, and put the old traditional establishment cover-up in place to protect these men from further punishment. Soon the news got out that even with the racking, they were not successful, and Anne had not given any names. One councilman wrote, "Askew remained in steadfast mind, and yet she hath been racked in agony in the secret house." Anne was once more given a chance to recant, once more refused, and was returned to Newgate. To prison and there to write her story. <clears throat> the date for her execution was set July 12, 1546. She would not die alone. Three others, John Lascelles, John Hadlam, and John Hemley were also to be burned. There was a huge crowd and both Risley and Rich were there to see all that was done. All three men were tied to stakes with faggots around them as normal, but Anne's case was different. She was too broken to walk. Pushing through the crowd and the noise came the sergeants, bringing between a chair on which Anne was carried. She could not stand at the stake to be burned. So a small chair was set at the bottom of the stake, and she was tied by the ankles, wrists, chest, and neck to the stake where she sat to hold her up. Then through the crowd came her torturer, Thomas Risley, and he cried out that they could still recant and be pardoned. Anne replied for them all, When she replied, I came not hither to deny my Lord and Master. Amen. Amen. Those who saw her execution were impressed by her bravery, reported that she did not scream until the flames reached her chest. The execution lasted about an hour, but she was unconscious, probably dead after 15 minutes or so. Prior to their death, the prisoners were offered one last chance at pardon while Bishop Saxton mounted the pulpit and began to preach to them. His words were in vain, however, but Anne listened attentively through this discourse. When he spoke anything she considered to be truth, she audibly expressed agreement and said amen, but when he said anything contrary to what she believed scripture stated, she claimed, there he misseth, and he speaketh without the book. It was said by another that witnessed this, she is well-educated, brave, witty, and intelligent, but most importantly, confident of her own salvation. Charles I called her a person famous for learning and piety and claimed that Anne had so seasoned the queen and ladies at the court by her precepts and example, and after sealed her profession with her book that the seed of reformation seemed to be sown by her own hand. Amen. I'm going to close with this ballad she wrote while she was in prison. Like as the armed knight appointed to the field, with this world will I fight, and faith shall be my shield. Faith is that weapon strong, which will not fail at need. My foes, therefore, among, therewith will I proceed. As it is had in strength and force of Christ's way, it will prevail at length, though all the devils say nay. Faith in the Father's old obtain righteousness, which make me very bold to fear no world's distress. I now rejoice in heart, and hope bid me do so, for Christ will take my part and ease me of my woe. Thou sayest, Lord, whoso knock, to them wilt thou attend. Undo, therefore, the lock, and thy strong power send. More enemies now I have than hairs upon my head. Let them not me deprave, but fight thou in my stead. On thee my care I cast, for all their cruel spite. I set not by their haste, for thou art my delight. I am not she that list, to let my anchor fall, for every drizzling mist, my ship substantial. Not oft use I to write, and prose, net yet, and prose nor yet in rhyme, yet will I show one sight, that I saw in my time. I saw a royal throne, where justice should have sat, and in her stead was one of moody, cruel wit. Absorbed was righteousness as of the raging flood. Satan in his excess suck up the guiltless blood. Then thought I, Jesus, Lord, when thou shalt judge us all, hard is it to record on these men what will fall. Yet, Lord, I thee desire for that they do to me. Let them not taste the hire of their iniquity amen. Amen. Lord, it's